You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Okay. All right. We're going to jump right in today. And uh, I got to tell you something. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a confession here. I'm, I'm not the greatest, not the greatest athlete. On a scale from one to 10, I'm about a six. That means I can run. I was in track. I played football when I was in junior high. I played baseball. I can do baseball probably a little bit better, maybe more of a seven or eight. But for the most part, overall, I can play decent volleyball at a seven or eight. But when it comes to football, I'm a solid six. Uh, I mean, I can throw the ball. I can catch the ball. I can make touchdowns and I can block. But I'm not your star player. All right. I'm just going to lay it out on the table. Uh, so if, if, if there's like schoolyard picks, I'll be in the middle. Don't put me at the last. You'll be, you'll be way, you'll be ruining a good average pick. Um, so, uh, when it comes to football, <clears throat> there's something about, you know, they're looking for someone who's not going to drop the ball. Someone who's not going to fumble. And, uh, you know, I've, I've fumbled a ball a time or two, uh, not just in football, but, but in life. And I'm sure many of you guys have dropped the ball or fumbled. And today, we're going to talk about a guy who was drafted by Jesus, man, was on the Jesus team, but yet his th- first three rookie years were terrible, man. If In fact, he went from the number one draft pick to a zero, to not even wanting to be... I mean, Jesus never gave up, gave up on him, but if I was the manager of the Jesus team... Uh, I would have dropped him from the team for sure because this is a guy who fumbled a lot and who struggled a lot. And we are in the middle of a series called Redemption. And this is a guy who, though he fumbled the ball, he was continually and perpetually redeemed by the Savior who loves him. We're talking about redemption. Redemption is a money term. It basically means to purchase or to buy or to make something valueless, something valuable again. It uh, clearly conveys the issue of a, of a debt problem, a price that must be paid, and a purchase that was made. That Christ is our Redeemer. That He took our lives that were without value or valueless or lost value, and He returns us to our state of creation of purpose. Uh, so we've been talking about these runners, people basically that have been running from God and who God called their name and that the Savior called their name. We've been looking at characters like uh, the prodigal son is who we talked about first. This guy was a runner who uh, whose father came running back to him. Uh, we talked about David, the guy who had it all, who blew it all. But God redeemed not only him, but his marriage. We talked about a guy named Moses who got 40 years in the desert for murder. Uh, who, who thought that maybe at the end of his life that he would have nothing, but God said, you know, your life is just beginning. And then Rahab, we talked last week about a, a woman who had a life of prostitution. She was a harlot, but God says, I have a better life, a better plan for you, and I've called you my own. And today, we're going to talk about a guy who grew up with brothers. Now, this is a guy that we're going to talk about today who was drafted onto the Jesus team and his brothers were on the Jesus team with him. We're going to talk about a guy who later became known as Peter, Simon Peter. And Simon Peter actually had a couple of his actual blood brothers on team Jesus with us, with him. The disciples, the 12 disciples of Jesus, I mean, Jesus had hundreds and even thousands of followers. But of the 12 disciples, many of those guys were brothers. Uh, several of them grew up together. Some of them were in business together. And uh, Peter is one of those guys. And 
And he was actually introduced to Jesus by one of his brothers. They came to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up with a brother, an older brother, who wasn't always the most truthful with me about stuff. He was always looking for ways to just kind of trick me, joke with me, play a prank on me. Anybody have a a brother like that or maybe a sister who's just, man, you know, my my brother's passed away. But I tell you, um, I'm a person who's like perpetually in a prank mode in my mind is like what I can do to just razz somebody to play around with somebody. And uh, so here comes Peter. He, he works with his brothers and his brothers come to him and said, we've found the Messiah. We found the savior. And I'm thinking, you know, if you're Peter, you're like, man, stop pulling my leg. They're no, no, for real. Come and see for yourself. Andrew, his brother says, Peter, you gotta see this guy. His name is Jesus. His name is Yeshua HaMashiach, and he is the Messiah. And so could you imagine the conversation? Are you sure? What did he look like? Where was he at? Where was he born? You know, what gives you the idea that he is the Messiah? And he basically says, well, come and see. So Andrew tells Peter. Peter goes and checks it out. He meets Jesus. We don't know how long it took, but the next thing you know, Peter is drafted onto the Jesus team. And it seems like everything is great. They heard about Jesus. They asked Jesus if they could follow him. He said yes. And it seemed like it was going to go great. But actually, it went back to normal because they went right back to work. And I got to tell you, when you meet Jesus, there's got to be something more than just saying a prayer acknowledging that he is Savior, acknowledging that he's the Messiah, that he's the Lord of your life, and then going back to work on Monday. There's got to be something more, and there is, because Jesus showed up at his work. He showed up on the beach there with Peter and said, Hey, Peter, how's the fishing? Peter's like, It's terrible. And he said, Why don't you throw your net on the other side? And see what happens now, whatever, Jesus. So he throws it on the other side, and it nearly breaks the net. And he realizes this is not just a a teacher. He's not just a prophet. That this man has the power of God in his life. He comes to find out that Jesus is God on the earth. So in Mark, uh, in Matthew chapter uh, 4 and in Luke chapter 5, he asks him, how's the fishing? He says, come on. Do you want to follow me? Peter says, heck yeah. So he he jumps on the Jesus team. And from that day forward, Peter is in almost every single Jesus story. As you read through the Gospels, Peter is like right there. Of the 12, Jesus had three of his favorites, uh, Peter, James, and John. And uh, notice it wasn't Peter's brother. So Peter, James, and John, um, these three guys actually spent more time with Jesus than any of the others. He took them places he didn't take the others. So here's a guy. Peter's rookie season, actually three years, he dropped the ball a lot. What we're going to look today is we're going to look at four major fumbles of Peter's life and how to recover from the fumble. How someone who is running and failed God can find redemption in the Savior. So the last few weeks, we've talked about people that have blew it. And um, anybody here ever fumbled in life before? Only a few of you. A few of us are on the same team. Apparently, most of you got every one of you has fumbled. There's not one here that has not fumbled or dropped the ball. Uh, today, I want to talk about that. A guy who I would have kicked off the team. Matthew 14. Let's take a look. Verse 22 it says, immediately, fumble one, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go out ahead of him on the other side. Now, he'd been walking with the disciples. They were, uh, he was healing the sick. He was doing miracles. By the way, this just followed the feeding of the 5,000. 
So he says, hey, guys, go across uh, the lake there, and I'll meet you on the other side. And I'm like, Jesus, how are you going to get there? Don't even worry about it. Just get in the boat and head out. I'll meet you over there. So immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side of the sea, uh, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee there. And while he dismissed the crowd, uh, he went on his way, and the disciples got in the boat. And after he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountains by himself to pray. When evening came... He was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, uh, and it was buffeted. That word mm, doesn't mean buffet. Buffeted means it was like being rocked. It was like shaking. Water was coming in. It was panic on the boat. It was uh, by the waves. It was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, here's the deal. It doesn't just say the wind was knocking it. The wind was against it. That means they could not move. They were paralyzed by the storm. They could not move. They could not move forward. They could not move back. And Jesus, uh, the Messiah, is way back on land. They're in the middle of, a, of, a, of this Sea of Galilee, and the, the, the boat is shaking. The storm is raging. And what's interesting about this whole story is they're right where they were supposed to be. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It says, during the fourth watch of the night, that's about 3 to 6 a.m., so about 4 in the morning, uh, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, you guys know this story, Jesus walking on the water. He says, but when the disciples saw him on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost! <laughs> they cried. They cried out in fear. Now, now I don't know about this. Did they really... Uh, think that Jesus was a ghost. I mean, and some of you might think, did Jesus really walk on the water? Can a man really walk on the water? Well, we're going to find out. But a lot of people think, I I believe the whole Jesus thing, but not that whole walking on water thing. And the Bible is a Bible, is a story, is a book, is, is truth. It is miracles. It is the supernatural. These stories cause us to ask, uh, what are we going to do with this Jesus? And, and, what do we think about this guy, Jesus? Are, are we going to believe his words but not believe his actions? Um, are, are, do we feel like his, his words are enough and that we don't need to accept his actions? His actions demand a response of who he is. He did these things to solidify to his disciples that he wasn't a teacher. He wasn't just a prophet, that he was God. These miracles proclaimed his divinity. So without the miracles, there's no divinity. He's walking on the water, and whether you believe it or not, you get Christmas off, so good for you. So uh, early morning, they're stuck in the storm. Where's Jesus trying to manage the ship? They're like, what? And here goes verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them from the, from the, from the sea, walking on the water, he says, take courage. He says, don't be afraid. Now, he's probably having to yell it. The storm's blazing. You know, the rain's coming down. Some of you guys experienced that early this morning or the la- this last week. Man, I love all this rain. It's been great for our grass. Uh, and by the way, here's what's crazy. They were right in the middle of the storm that they were supposed to be in. God told them, Jesus told them to go out into this sea. God told them to go out there, and they found themselves in a storm feeling abandoned. And I can't help but think that maybe the storms are part of the plan. Maybe God is telling you to step out and to go out someplace. And it looks good right now, but all of a sudden you're in the middle of it. And it seems like your life, your world, your environment, your job, your family is falling apart. That doesn't mean you're not where you're supposed to be. 
Sometimes he wants you to go deep to show you something deep. He wants to show you that he is there to stretch you. Maybe you would never see that miracle if it weren't for that storm. Notice as Jesus comes close, his peace follows. That's because where God is in correlation to your life is where his peace is in correlation to your life. The closer you get to God, regardless of the storm, the more peace you have. So in verse 28, he says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out on the water. And Jesus says, well, come on. He says, come, he says. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Now we don't know how far Jesus walked on water, but according to Sunday school flannel graphs, it was about eight feet. And the reason it's eight feet on those Sunday school pictures is because they all had to fit it into the page that we were coloring, right? So we don't know. It could have been eight feet. It could have been 20 feet, but we know that Peter was walking on water. People, well, Jesus walked on water. Peter did too. Peter did too. He had great faith, man. There's no human being on the planet outside of Peter, Jesus being God, fully man, fully God. No one, no human being alone other than Peter ever walked on water. But he did. Verse 30 says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him just as he was about to go under. And he says, you have little faith. I'm not, I mean, like, Jesus, really? I walked on the water. How can that be little faith? I mean, honestly, when I first read that, I'm thinking, Jesus, come on, cut him some slack. The storm's raging. Is He can't hardly see the sound, the thunder, the waves. You'd be like, awesome job, Peter. Way to go. Let's walk back. Good job. But he says, no, oh, you have little faith. And he says, why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, now that means he helped them out, and then they walked back to the boat. When they walked back to the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God, which translation means, Jesus, that was awesome, right? That's the translation, if we were to write it today. Here's the fumble one, is that with Peter, he starts out with great faith, but he has the wrong focus. And many of us are the same way. We start off with great faith. We start off with this belief that God is going to do awesome things, great things. And Jesus, it's you. I believe in you. I can walk on water. And then all of a sudden, the the storms of life, our cares, our concerns, our worries, all of a sudden get us off what we know God has called us to believe and to trust him for and in. And all of a sudden, our great faith starts off great, but it ends up with a wrong focus because we, we trust God, but we're looking at the wrong things. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if Jesus was in the water, uh, on the water, and I was in the boat, and Jesus said, come to me, I go, no, that's okay, Jesus. That, that's all right. You know, uh, how, wh- how, here's how I can know if it's really Jesus. What number am I thinking of? 12. It's Jesus, guys. It's Jesus. But no, it's just Peter had great faith. He's the only person to walk on water other than Jesus. And in life, it's easy to have faith when it's smooth sailing, when your job is good, when you have plenty of money in the bank, when your health seems great, when it's good times, when things are great at home, when the sun is shining. But when your boat is shaking, we tend to turn the focus off of Jesus and onto the storm. I want to ask you, what storm are you consumed with today? 
What's the, the storm that has captured your mind all day long? The thing that you can't stop thinking about all day long. Jesus is asking you, why are you doubting? Why are you doubting? Why do you let the storms of your life grab the focus of your attention? You might think, well, Jesus, am I not supposed to care about what's going on in my life? Peter thought the same thing. Am I not supposed to care about the storm, Jesus? Jesus' response was just take my hand and let's walk this out together. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your focus on me. Even if you're scared or hurting, keep your eyes on me. See, Peter had great faith, but he had the wrong focus, fumble one. Here's fumble two. In Matthew 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, uh, Philippi, he asked the disciples, you guys might know the story, he says, what do, what do people say about me? What are people saying? Uh, who do they say that the Son of Man is? Verse 14, they replied, well, uh, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some still others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. They're like, man, Jesus, there's no question about it. People think you are something supernatural. Then the next question is the kicker, and it's the question we all got to answer. And Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? Who do you think I am. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Uh, This is a great question to ask yourself and someone that you love, your kids, your coworker, a friend. Who do you say that Jesus is? Well, Simon Peter was the first to answer. He jumps up and he says, man, you're the Christ. That means the Savior, the Messiah. You're the promised one, the Christ, and the Son of the living God. That means God in the flesh. You are the flesh of God with us. That's you, Jesus. Now, Jesus responds, Peter, you are right on. That's blessed. Man, what you said was right. And from this day forward, you're like, you're Peter. You're, you're a stone. You're going to be a tool in the hands of the church. He says, but what you just said, that boulder, that unmovable rock of what you just said, I'm going to use that truth to build my church and nothing's going to stop it. Sounds like a high five moment. They're high five. Good job, Peter. Way to go. Awesome. They're like, they're just walking down the path. And then uh, Jesus began to talk about, well, you know, guys, since you know who I am, I'm going to tell you what I'm here to do. I'm here to die. He says, I'm here to give my life. And very very soon, he says, I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be beaten and I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to die. But don't worry, I'm going to rise again. But they didn't want to hear any of that. They didn't even hear the last part. All they heard was persecution, death, dying. And verse 21 of the same chapter says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. But on the third day, he'll come back to life. He'll be raised to life. But Peter, I could, man, Peter, but Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Really? You rebuke Jesus? Jesus, come here. Come here, Jesus. Come here. Jesus, no, 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 no. That's not not the way it's going to happen. That's not the way... God, you're wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're God in the flesh and all, but it's not, stop talking like that. What an idiot, you know? It's like, man, really? He says, never, Lord. He says, this this is never going to happen to you. He says, man, you're too big. You're too strong. You're God, man. It ain't never going to happen to you. And Jesus, after he just called Peter a stone, a great tool in the kingdom of God, he says, get behind me. He looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And I can imagine the others going to, ooh, he got burned, you know, and Jesus is like, yeah, you know, and Peter's like, shut up. You know? 
to the disciples. They're all like razzing him. His brother's in the crowd, remember? His brother's one of the disciples. Peter just doesn't know when to stop, guys. I'm telling you, man. He never, he always got in trouble with mom. Always got in trouble with mom. Fumble two. He had great devotion, but he was heading in the wrong direction. He had great devotion. He says, you're the Messiah. We love you. We got your back. He had great devotion, Jesus. Man, we're going to go with you to the end. But as Jesus talks about persecution and arrest, Peter jumps up and he says, no way, not going to happen. I'll make that for sure. And Jesus is like, wait, 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 wait a minute. So who's Lord here? You have this great love for me, but you want to be in charge of me. See, we do the same exact thing. We say, Jesus, I confess my life. I confess my sins. I receive your grace and forgiveness. I come into my life and we begin to follow Jesus. But like Peter we think that we can call the shots for Jesus. We somehow think that we can uh, do what we want if we say the right formula or do the right things. We take Jesus and say, come here, Jesus. You know, you know, I asked for that healing multiple times. So, you know, if you could get to that, that'd be great. All right, thanks. Yeah, it's football. It's an athletic thing. He says, thanks, Jesus. You know, somehow we, we disrespect the authority in the life of Christ just like Peter did. We've got great devotion. We're singing praise, but then we're demanding things from Jesus like he's somehow our service person. We do the same. We do the exact same. I called you, Lord, now do this. Don't do this. Bring this person back. Heal my body. Get me this job. Jesus, I'm telling you, you better get this for me. We make uh, and, we, and we make everything a religious tag. And we say, we ask for the, the craziest things that aren't even God's will. And then we tag it with, in Jesus' name. As if, stamp, now you got to do it, Jesus. You know, somehow we think that we can just manipulate and control Jesus by our attitude and actions. Peter says, Jesus, your Lord. Jesus says, great. Now, let me tell you about suffering and Peter says, hold on, time out, time out. And Jesus says, no, 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 get to the back of the line because you're acting like Satan. Like Peter, some of you claim faith, but you have your own motives. You have your own plans. We have the right to pray for good things, but they're all subject to the will and the plan of God. Because like Peter, some of our prayers are satanic. And some of the times we pray and demand things from God and we tell God how it's going to be. And he says, no, get behind me. Get in the back because you're being very demonic. Here's fumble three. By this point, Jesus uh, had been walking with Peter for about three years. He had seen diseased people healed. He had seen the outcast received. He had, he'd seen the rejected welcomed. He'd seen the sinner forgiven. He had seen the immoral made whole. He'd seen a dying teen raised from the dead. He'd saw a worried father receive his son back with a sound mind. He saw a sick widow uh, healed of, a, of an incredible blood disease. He saw a lonely businessman find a sense of future and hope again. He saw hurting prostitutes get put on a new path of life. And he saw a blind man looking for help, help have his eyes open. So Jesus, at this point, had revealed himself to the disciples. Peter was his number one guy. Peter was like, I will go to the ends of the earth with you, Jesus. He's willing to do anything with Jesus and for Jesus. And we have this famous upper room conversation in Matthew chapter 26. Then Jesus told Peter, he says, this very night, he's having his last meal. He's breaking bread. He's, uh, he's, he's had communion with the guys and he's having the Passover meal. He says, guys, tonight, 
it's going to be a bad night for all of you. Because tonight, I'm going to be arrested and you're going to run. And he says this, this very night, you will fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. He says, but don't worry, even if you run, I'm not leaving you. Even if you run away, I am still with you. He says, Peter replied, but even if I fall away on account of you, he says, he says, man, I never will. He says, even if it comes to torture and if someone tries to take me down, if, if my life is on the line, Jesus, I will never run. And Jesus says, well, I tell you the truth. Jesus answered this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. Jesus, we will never disown you. I'm going all the way with you. Many of you guys know what happened that night. That Later that night, Jesus was arrested. All the disciples ran like babies. Peter was one of the first ones. He, he, uh, he drew a sword to try to fight. And Jesus said, you know, you live by the sword, they die by the sword. And Peter then just dropped his sword and ran. Peter runs, but he doesn't run so far away that he can't see his Savior. So the Bible tells that as Peter was in it from a distance, he could see and he could hear the trial and the torture and the conviction and uh, the beating of Jesus Christ. And as he's in the courtyard listening and peeking and trying to catch a glimpse of the one who he said he would never one, uh, run from, this was the moment when Jesus needed him the most and he was not there. He just wanted to see him. No disciples around. Peter was alone. Who knows where the others were hiding? In verse 67, then they spit in his face, in Jesus' face, and they struck him with their fists, and others slapped him. And they said, prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? They're mocking him. If you're the Messiah and you know all things, then who's this? Who's this? The Bible says they begin to pull out, in another chapter, they begin to pull out his beard and hit him with rods and poles. And they begin to mock him. Now, Peter, it says, was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl, everybody say a teenager, a teenage girl came to him and said, hey, you were with Jesus of Galilee. You're one of those guys. But he denied it before them all. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he left. And then he went out, out to the gateway. And there was another girl, another teenage girl, another maiden who saw him and said, hey, you're one of those people, weren't you? You're, you're one of those people there. This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And the second time in verse 72, he denied it again with an oath. That means he swore, I swear to God, I don't know the man. Or he might have made a, a vow or an oath upon his family. Either way, it's one of the most intense vows, oaths. He was swearing above all things, I don't know the man. He swore a lie. And after a little while, a little bit while later, those standing there went up to Peter and says, Hey, surely you're one of them because your accent gives you away. You're not from around here. You're one of those Galilean guys. And then he began to call down curses on himself. Some of the other gospels say that he began to curse at them. He began to call curses on himself. He began to curse upon them. And I'll tell you something, the clearest way to distance yourself from God and others is with your language. 
Some of you guys, you can't figure out why people aren't seeing Jesus in you. Have you checked the way that you talk, how you treat people, how you, how you respond? He says, he began to swear. He says, I don't know the man. And immediately, pretty good rooster, huh? So immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Here's fumble number three. He had a great desire, great desire. Jesus, I love you. I will give my life for you. I will never, ever abandon you. I will, I will tell the world about you. He had a great desire, but he had wrong actions. He fumbled the ball. God, I give my life. I will live for you until I get to work. And then all bets are off the table. Jesus, I will live for you. I, I will declare you until I get to school. Jesus, I, man, you are the Savior, and I will never be ashamed of you until I get with my friends. Jesus, I, you're the one I live for until I get online on Facebook or on Twitter or, or when I start getting in the chat rooms. Jesus, you're the one who, who leads and guides my life until you get in the barracks, until you show up at practice. I will follow you, Jesus, until you get asked. Some of you, we are just like Peter right here. You've said a prayer, you've made a vow, you've made a decision, and, and you have a deep desire to live for him. But really, when you're confronted and someone asks you, it's, but I don't know. We're more concerned about the crowd than with Christ. Where are you? Where is the place where you go where you are more concerned about the crowd rather than Christ? Maybe like Peter, you have a great desire, but you keep fumbling in this area. As we know, Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He was in the grave for three days. He was resurrected. The Bible tells us that Peter runs to the tomb, but he doesn't see Jesus, but he sees an empty tomb in the grave clothes. But later that night, Jesus walks into the room and says, what's up? And he introduces himself to the crowd again, and Peter is brought back to Jesus. Here's the last fumble, fumble number four. It's after the resurrection. Jesus is appearing to the disciples. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples, all of them were together. It says, this is what happened. I'm going to go fishing. Think about this. Jesus had risen from the dead. He shows up in front of you. He tells you the work has just begun and you go back to work with business as usual. That's exactly what they did. They just went back to work. That night, they caught nothing. But early in the morning... Jesus shows up at work again. This is just like the first time they met. Guys, listen to this. This is one of the last times he has a conversation with them. The next time is an ascension and he leaves. He shows up just like he did at the beginning. And he says, hey, how's the fishing? They're out of the boat. They couldn't believe it's him. So they went out to the boat. But that night they caught nothing early in the morning. Jesus stood on the shore and, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. And he called out, friends, have you any fish yet? How's the fishing? And they said, no, we haven't caught anything, they answered. And, and just like old times, I would imagine they're thinking, oh, what have we done? It's like we're three years later, we're right back where we started, right back to the grind as if, 
as if we didn't walk with Jesus for three years, as if we didn't see miracles, as if we didn't see him come back to life. We're just back doing the same old thing. Guys, here's the last fumble. And I want us to think about this is fumble number four is that we have been given a great salvation, but we have embraced the wrong purpose. They met They walked, they followed, they believed, they cast out demons, they experienced miracles that no one has ever or will ever see. And they went back to business as usual. And this is what happens for many of you on Monday. You have experienced and tasted the life, the love, the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, the hope, the future of Christ. And then you clock in on Monday, just like it's another day. Jesus didn't die for us to go through a routine for us to do the church thing and then go back to normal to hear God speak and to see God move and go back to business as usual. His desire for us is to do more than just catch more stuff, more fish, to gather more things, to achieve more things, to do more things, to get more things, to ride more rides and to have more stuff or to become more of a, of a person of famous popularity or position. He died for more than that. We have been called out of sin into a new life of purpose. In fact, Peter got this later on when he wrote in 1 Peter 2, 9, he says, but you are chosen people, he says to us. Peter says, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. God's special possessions that you may declare. This is your purpose, that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out out of darkness, out of that old life, out of that old routine, out of that old perspective, that old view, that old rhythm into a new light and life and purpose. But at this time right here, Peter didn't get that. We're called out of selfishness into uh, salvation, into life, into light as ambassadors. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his hope. Don't get sucked into thinking that life is about what happens here and right now. But Jesus, the Redeemer, wasn't giving up on him. Check this out. This is where the story wraps up with Peter. He says, how's the fishing? They say, terrible. He says, well, throw it on the other side, just like old times. They throw the net on the other side, and there's fish everywhere. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that's John, is is that the Lord? Is that Jesus? And as soon as Simon heard him say, is it the Lord? Peter wrapped his outer garment on because, you know, he's swimming in some shorts and, and without a shirt on. He put his outer garment on for he had taken it off. And he jumps into the water and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. How long is a hundred yards, guys? A football field. There are hundred yards out. They've just caught a massive amount of fish. Peter says, is that Jesus? Is it Jesus? Is it really you? And Jesus receives the ball, runs a hundred yard touchdown. Man, he runs through the water. He runs through the waves. He gets to the beach. He falls to his feet. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals where the, and there was fish on it and some bread. Man, Jesus loves seafood. He might've been just a little Cajun. I don't know because he loved fish, but Jesus 
cooked them breakfast. He started a fire, had some fish going. He says, hey guys, let's hang out a little bit. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, he says, Simon Peter, son of John, he says, do you truly love me more than everything else than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. He's talking about spiritual food. He's talking about uh, discipling and leading new followers. And then he says, again, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, well, then take care of my sheep. That's the mature followers. And then he says a third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus answered, feed my sheep. That means feed the following and disciple the growing followers. Guys, listen, Peter was asked three times, do you love me? For each time that he denied Christ. Three times you denied me. Three times I want to clear it up. Do you love me? Here's what's interesting about this. We don't see this in English, but the word love has different words in Greek, which is the language that this was originally written in. And Jesus actually uses two different words when he says love three times. The first two times he says a word known as agape. He says, Peter, do you agape love me? That means unconditionally with no strings attached, no matter what comes, no matter what trials, no matter what you're going through, are you going to and do you truly unconditionally love me no matter how good or how bad things are going in your life? And Peter responds, Jesus, you know I love you, but the love he says is not agape. The love he says is a word called phileo, which means I love you like a brother. I love you like family. Phileo is a friendship family love. And Jesus says again, okay, well, Peter, but do you truly agape me? Are you going to love me no matter what happens in your life? Are you going to, you know, turn tail and run again? He says, but Jesus, you know, I don't know. He says, but Jesus, you know, I I phileo you. I love you like a brother, like a family member. I mean, this this is pretty close, God. It's pretty affectionate. And then the third time, Jesus says, okay, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you love me like a brother? It's almost like he reduced his love requirement. And that's when Peter says, grieved, yes, I I do love you like that. I love you like a a brother, like, like family with deep affection. Peter was, in effect, saying, you know my love is unreliable. But unlike Peter and our love, Christ's love is unconditional. Because look what happens in verse 18. Jesus says, very truly I say to you, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. That means there was a time when you got to do what you wanted. He says, but there's going to come a time in the future when you're old, where you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, Peter, you're going to die for me one day. Follow me. And that's pretty intense because phileo love is not the kind of love that you end up laying down your life for. 
Well, love's the kind of love that kind of is a camaraderie, a friendship, kind of when the, you know what, you're bad for me, you're good for me, I need to look out for my self-interest, we just need to get some space here. That's phileo love, but agape is love no matter what, no matter how far, no matter how intense, no matter how dangerous, no matter how scary, no matter how violent, no matter what comes in my life, I will love, I will follow, I will be with you. Peter wasn't there yet, but Jesus said, you know what, Peter, but you will be. You will be there one day. You will die for me one day. That's where your love's going to go one day. Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's John. So Peter's talking with Jesus. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Well, good, because one day you're going to die for me. And then Peter says, hmm, okay, what about that guy? Because this is what he says. He looks at him. He says, when Peter saw him, he says, Lord, what about him? (laughs) Is he going to die too? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Don't worry about him. You follow me with everything you got. Don't compare yourself to others on this one, Peter. Guys, listen, we have got to stop comparing our Christian journey with our brother or our sister or our husband or our wife or our friend or me or some other leader. Jesus says, you know, don't worry about that one. You, you follow me. Peter goes on to be the comeback kid. He becomes the first pastor of the early church. He leads thousands to Christ, and he is eventually martyred for his faith. And just as Jesus said, his arms are stretched out and he is crucified. But history tells us that Peter did not want to be crucified upright and to be compared with Jesus, so he requested that he would be crucified upside down. So as you might have heard, Peter was crucified upside down to honor his Savior, who he loved. So I want to end with a couple of thoughts. Three minutes. The comeback kid. If you want to be the comeback kid, you need to realize this. The first thing is this. You need to realize that faith is more than just knowing the facts. Peter knew the facts, and he saw the miracles. He knew Jesus. He knew his life. He knew he met his parents. He experienced the fact of who he was. He was there, but following Jesus is not about just knowing the facts. The facts alone are not enough. We must have trust and faith in Christ and who he is and who he says he is. The facts are true, whether you believe it or not, but life in Christ begins when you put faith and trust in who Jesus says that he is. So you might have all the right answers, person, young person, adult, Senior, you might have all the right answers. You might have a bunch of verses memorized. But faith is more than just knowing the facts. It's about faith and trust and following Jesus, even when your eyes are taking you places that seem scary. The second thing about the comeback kid is that the closer we focus on the world, the less we see Jesus. Because this was one of the original problems with Peter. I got a globe here. And uh, this globe is going to represent our world, our life, our existence. And this room is going to represent eternity with me, okay? So I want you to look around the room for a second, and I want you to then look at this globe. Uh, This globe seems pretty small in relation to eternity, doesn't it? Except real eternity, there's no walls. It just goes on forever. So that makes this globe even that much smaller. In relation to the universe, in relation to our life or this planet, in the universe, we're just a speck in the universe, all right? But this is where we live. We live right here in Garland, Texas, Dallas, Texas, Rowlett, Texas, Mesquite, Texas, Saxe, Texas, Wiley, Texas, wherever you might live. We live in the Dallas area right there, right there on the map. 
But God wants us to have this view of the world in our life in light of the universe. Right? So that we see God's bigger plan. We see eternity before us at all times. And that the world has a proper perspective in relation to the universe. If we can keep our eyes on Jesus, on God's bigger plan and his throne and his life and his purpose, then we have a clear view of our decisions and the things that we do and the things that we decide that we're going to make priorities in life. But here's what we'd like to do. This is the problem with Peter. What he did when he was on the boat is he did this. He says, well, this is where I live. And this is my home. And this is my car. And this is my yard. And this is my job. And this is my troubles. And this is my finances. And this is my money. And this is my clothes. And this is my issues. And this is my problems. This is my marriage. This is... This is me. And all of a sudden, can you see me anymore? Well, those of you on the side probably can. But you know what? I can't see you. And this is exactly what we do. We get our eyes, our minds so focused, so zeroed in on our little world of our life, of our existence, of our environment, of our surrounding that we lose the eternity, the view of forever. We, as long as our focus is on our world, we, have a, we will have a real hard time finding Jesus. If we have our eyes focused on our world, we're going to have a very hard time finding anybody, seeing anybody. And this is the challenge that Peter had to embrace, that we have to embrace. And I'm gonna, I want you to write this down. It's that the closer we focus on the world, the less we see Jesus. Guys, you're going to have crisis in this world. But if you can have a, a perspective of your world in relation to eternity, you're going to be at peace with your trial. You're going to have a sense of confidence in that storm. And here's, here's I need, I need uh, someone to come up here. I'm going to have Tiny come up here for a minute. Um, I was going to have one of these teenagers come up, but I don't want to wake them up. So um, it was a joke, but it's the truth. All right. Here's, here's what, here's the deal. If we have like our family with this, a son, a daughter, a friend, a husband, a wife, you're like, well, I got to keep my eyes on my family. I got to keep it. No, what you do is you, with your family, you get a, par- a proper view of eternity. With your friends, you get a proper view of the world. So you have this choice. You can, you can join arms with your kids and with your family, with your friends, with your spouse or whatever. And you can have a view of the world that's, that's healthy, a view of eternity. And you guys can change the world together. But if all you have is this, I can't see those around me. Even when I'm focused on my family, if that's all I see, I can't even see my family. Thank you, Tiny. Guys, listen, I want to challenge you guys to get the world in perspective. And this is the last thing. This is the last uh, comeback kid. The game plan is still the same. It's the same plan he gave to Peter and the disciples to leave everything and to follow. That's the plan, leave and follow. Peter, I'm going to ask you a question I asked you three years ago. Follow me. The plan hasn't changed 2,000 years later. Guys, listen, Jesus is inviting you today. 
to leave the cares of your world and follow him, follow Jesus. Do you love this more than me, Jesus says? Then you cannot be my disciple. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are brand new. Guys, listen, Jesus can take you and put you on a new path, a new course. I want to give you an opportunity right now to follow Jesus, to say yes to Christ, to get the eternity back, that there's way beyond this world a life that you have yet to know. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that... God, you've called us out of darkness into light. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to get our eyes off our problems, our job, our storm. God, that we would get our, our eyes focused on the one who can help us walk on the water during the storm. God, I thank you, Lord, that even though we've fumbled in many ways, just like Peter. God, we have fumbled with, with wrong devotion, with wrong direction, with wrong purpose. God, we have fumbled many, many times, just like Peter. But God, you never give up on us. You never quit pursuing us. So God, if there's anyone here that has dropped the ball, God, I pray today's the day that Captain Jesus let them know they're still on the team. If they would just confess their sin. God, you're quick to forgive. Won't you just take a moment right now just to confess your sin? Jesus, I haven't exactly followed you the way that I said that I would. I haven't actually stood up for you in the way that I know that I should. I, my, my attitude, my language, my, my words have been hurtful. God, I know that I, I said I would live my life for you, but I'm in this routine that is anything but living. God, forgive me. Talk to Jesus right now. Whatever your fumble is, whatever your failure is, wherever you've dropped the ball, will you talk to him right now? Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, forgive me. Teach me. Help me to follow. Help me to follow like Peter. God, I may be immature like Peter, But God, I believe that if I will follow you and be faithful, God, you will mature me. God, I will stand strong. And God, when the world seems to be falling apart, God, I will stand. For you are with me. God, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.